Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Ah, it's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook cheddar, extraordinary dairy. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that, according to his state of Hawaii driver's license, is 25 years of age, and his real name is McLovin. But, of course, we know him as the captain. Thank you, Captain Vanilla Pants. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Tonight, we are drinking 10-speed hoppy wheat pale ale by the awesome people at Bloomington Brewing Company, garage grade four out of five bottle caps. This American wheat ale is golden and hazy with earthy pine, crisp citrus, and juicy pineapple notes. And 10-speed hoppy wheat was brought to us by these lean and mean garage peeps. First up all the way in Cali, we have Jen and Dustin the San Diego Duck. Also in the great state of California, we have Marianne and Campbell. Staying out west, we want to give a big shout out to Joan in Billings, Montana. And a big We Like Your Jib from Corey out in Harbor, Washington. Next, we have Angela in Cleveland, Ohio. I love you, Cleveland. All right, calm down. Next, we have Megan from Frederick, Maryland. And last but not least, big ups to Brittany from Sydney, Nova Scotia. Like your jib. Cheers, mates. And if you'd like to donate to the beer fund, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate banner. And while you're there, check out our new vlog series. We only have one episode up, but if... uh, Episode number one. If people watch it, we'll do more. And uh, one thing we want to do is if you have any questions, send us an email. We might read them on future videos. Mm -hmm. And that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of Lauren Spear. This beautiful college student vanished without a trace after a night of partying five years ago. 
her parents have repeatedly appealed for resolution. Where are you, my sweet girl? I'm, I'm just missing you so desperately. The mystery of what happened to 20-year-old Lauren Spear has never been solved. But now former FBI agent Brad Garrett and ABC's Brian Ross say they think they know what may have happened. Lauren was part of a wild party scene and then in some way or another, drugs and students using drugs led to her demise. The Indiana University student was seen on surveillance video the night of her disappearance in June 2011. She partied at this sports bar and met up with several male friends. But they have lawyered up and aren't talking about Lauren's fate. Why are they trying to keep quiet? What are they hiding? One theory is that Lauren was kidnapped by a biker gang after collapsing in the street on the way to her apartment. Did you shoot her? No, I didn't shoot her. You didn't shoot her? I didn't do with her. I don't even know the broad. I told you that. Bye. Garrett says he does not believe she was kidnapped. He says he was given information from a source that Lauren's college friends hold the key to the mystery. He had heard that she was at a party, had a bad reaction to ecstasy, died. They panicked and moved her to the Ohio River. They're 18, 19, 20 years old. The last thing they want is the Bloomington police to come in, find drugs, and a dead co-ed. And so we believe somebody panicked and got rid of her. Lauren was only 4 feet 11 and weighed 90 pounds and would have been easy prey in an intoxicated state. Just a few months ago, the FBI dug up farmland in Indiana but didn't find Lauren's body. Lauren's parents have given up hope that their daughter is still alive, but they still want closure. What they want now they want is to find her body and to figure out what happened that night. Tonight's case takes us to the great state of Indiana, to Bloomington at the campus of Indiana University. Mm-hmm. When I think of Indiana, I think of state native John Mellencamp. <laughs> well, when I think of Indiana University or IU, of course, I think of Bob Knight, a school with a great basketball program and tradition. I'm sure they have many great academic programs there as well, but on a national level, that's certainly what Indiana is more known for. Mm-hmm. I do think of party school though as well. Um, yeah, I've, I've partied there. It, oh, you have, mm-hmm. I have not, but I've, I've read, you know, they, they put out those lists every year of the top 10 or 20 party schools. And I always see Indiana hovering around the top of that list. I used to do some gigs with this group called ordinary peoples. It was like a oh, yeah. live hip hop band and we'd play, I think it was called, uh, the bluebird. Mm-hmm. in Bloomington, and I think we also played Kilroy's, which will come up in this story later. So tonight we have a missing persons case, and as far as the state of Indiana goes, a pretty famous case at that. We are talking about the disappearance of 20-year-old Indiana University college student Lauren Spear. Mm-hmm. Lauren went out for what I would call a hardcore night of getting smashed. Uh <laughs> Sorry, am I crazy to say that though, is Captain? Is that what you call it? Uh, that's that's the only thing I can phrase this at. I mean, there there is having a good time and living it up, but then there is also taking it to another level as well. Right, that's what I call hanging out with Nick. <laughs> but but Lauren does go out with friends, stopping off at place to place. But there, somewhere along the way of bar hopping and campus hijinks, mm-hmm. Lauren is lost and almost six years later, We are still looking for her. We are left with a lot of questions about that night that she disappeared. 
And I think questions about her lifestyle and some questions about her friends as well. Lauren was only 20 years old, but in any missing person case, I think it's really important to kind of know their history and know their background. Mm -hmm. So Lauren was born in 1991. Her parents are Robert and Charlene Spear. Mm -hmm. Uh, She grew up in New York State. And in 2009, she enrolled at Indiana University. When her parents, Rob and Charlene, dropped Lauren off her freshman year, they felt that the university campus was a safe place. Mm -hmm. But Bloomington, like many college towns, does have its darker side. This, of course, coming with the the partying that goes on. Well, it's a part of the Big Ten Mm -hmm. Conference, which Ohio State is part of. Uh, It's it's a very clean campus. Mm -hmm. It's a Division I school. So they're, they're going to get a lot more funding as far as sports go. And that darker side usually comes with the alcohol and the drugs that are involved in campus parties. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't mean to pick on the state, pick on Indiana University. This happens at every, this every happens college. at almost every college. And I, mm-hmm. from my experience, this is very typical of the Midwestern, uh, bigger universities. The other question that's going to come up is Lauren was only 20 years old. So how common is it for a 20 year old to drink in a college bar? I think it's pretty common. Yeah. With my experience, I would say it's very common. Did you have a college campus bar that you like to drink at? Uh, well, I'm not a big, not a big campus bar person, but, uh, you know, I did go to the Ohio state games, the football games for like 11 years straight. Mm -hmm. Now, if we had a big victory, I would typically walk across the street and go to the varsity club uh, mm-hmm. and kind of celebrate the win there. With, with Yeah, the, but at that point, you were of age. Right? Yes, I was definitely of age, but there were probably some people partying on campus that were not of age. Well, yeah, a bunch of my buddies, when we're about 19 and 20, we'd, be, we'd hang out at Panini's South. Okay. So big ups to anybody that drank at Panini's you South. You just got Panini's in big trouble. Well, no, it's closed now. Probably, oh, probably because probably of why. Now, the night that we are talking about is Thursday, June second, two thousand and eleven. This is Lauren's sophomore year. At this time, she is dating, well, still dating her high school boyfriend Jesse Wolf, who is attending Indiana University as well. Yeah, so it seems like one of those high school relationships where they decided to go to the same big university. Yep. Now, Lauren and Jesse hung out a lot, but not on this night. Lauren had her heart set on going out. She wanted to party it up, mm-hmm. get out and campus hop with some of her friends. Jesse would not be joining her. He was going to stay in that night. It was the NBA finals and he didn't want to miss it. That's a little funny to me, not because, you know, staying in is is strange or anything like mm-hmm. that, but it's funny to me because I remember staying in and watching that same game as well. Because you, you remember, Captain, earlier that year, the great King James decided he was taking his talents to South Beach. Mm-hmm. So for two weeks in June of 2011, I was a huge Dallas Mavericks fan. And I sat there and watched that night. That was a close game uh, throughout the whole thing. But the Mavs went on to beat the Heat that night, 95-93, to 93, to tie the series at one game each. Now let's go through the timeline of that night. Because mm-hmm. this case has some... It has some hints of maybe a little Brian Schaefer to me. Does, does it remind you of that case at all? Yeah, I mean, I think any college camp, you know, any college kid going missing on college campus kind of, you know, reeks of that. Yeah, it, it always takes us back there. So very late on Thursday, June 2nd, Lauren is hanging out with her friend David Ron. Now, David is a student as well. They are drinking and partying at her place. 
Mm-hmm. Then just after midnight, they decide. So this is June 3rd now at this point, technically. So around 1230 a.m., Lauren and David leave Smallwood Plaza. This is an off-campus high-rise where Lauren lives. The two, Fancy. Of, the two of them go down the street to the apartment of another student named Jay Rosenbaum. Mm-hmm. Lauren then meets up with another student, Corey Rossman. Corey lives in the same building as Jay. Corey and Lauren then decide that they want to step out for a bit and they go to Kilroy's Sports Bar. This is the place that you had mentioned earlier. This is a very popular college bar. Surveillance footage tells us that Lauren Spurrier arrived <laughs> entering Kilroy's at 1.46 a.m. Right now, some of our older listeners are going to be thinking, they arrived at a bar at 1.46? Right. This seems ludicrous. Well, first of all, Indiana bars, they close at 3. Okay. Here uh, at Ohio State or just in Ohio, most of the time, 2 o'clock. By, yeah. By 2.30, the bar is cleared. Uh, Indiana, they close at 3. By probably 3.30, it's cleared. But the other thing is that there, there was a big trend um, that I kind of missed out on because I'm a little bit older. But You're 25. Your name's McLovin. <laughs> but it seems like, you know... Because I played in bars, playing the cover band, normally you would start early, you know, mm-hmm. about ten o'clock, and then you're going to play till two. But then all of a sudden, this like shift happened where people would do a lot more pre gaming, okay. and so the bars wouldn't really start filling up till like midnight. A- yeah, after midnight. Yeah. So it was kind of like you know this Jersey Shore thing, you know, t-shirt times, calves are here, and then you know the bars would fill up. You know, you wouldn't be leaving to go to the bar till midnight. Yeah. So th- this is not that uncommon. In Columbus, though, at 146, at a lot of bars, you are you would be lucky to even get served a drink. Usually by that time, the bartenders are just yelling at people to leave. And <laughs> right, you know how right. they just go and c- start collecting drinks and you're like, oh, my beer is well, yeah. still full. That's and when he, you just chug it. So th- they arrive at 146 a.m. And I guess they have like a uh, try to go for kind of a beach atmosphere on the patio area mm-hmm. uh, so they go out to this patio area and lauren takes off her shoes and they they are not there terribly long though according to the surveillance footage lauren is seen exiting the bar with Corey rossman and they they walk to lauren's apartment complex can i bring up something and maybe i'm way off base here but you know lauren is a girl that has a boyfriend and i know that they're not hanging out that day but she is also hanging out with three boys. Right. I, I, I find that a little odd. Um, I mean, it's not like, I'm not saying that you can't be fr- friends with girls, you know, boys can't be friends with girls and stuff like that. But it's just like, if I would have told my girlfriend in, in college, hey, I'm going to go hang out with these three girls, not happening. I, I guess I'm looking at it from Jesse's standpoint, from the boy boyfriend standpoint Mm -hmm. i don't find it incredibly odd i wouldn't think that you i don't think you're in the minority though i think that most people might find this a little strange i don't i think it's kind of a campus atmosphere it's a lot of a lot of people hanging out uh constantly you know Um, yeah but you'd think like it would make a little more sense to me if she was like i'm going out for a girl's night drinking or something Mm -hmm. you're you're staying at home watching the game i'm going to go out with my girlfriends but she ends up going out with, you know, three guys. Mm-hmm. Well, when they leave the bar, they head to her apartment complex. This is just about a block or so from the bar. Now, Lauren does leave her shoes and her phone at Kilroy's bar. 
Lauren is seen entering the Smallwood Plaza at 2.30 a.m. and then exiting at 2.42 a.m. Lauren's apartment is on the fifth floor of this apartment complex. For whatever reason, Lauren and Corey do not go to her apartment. It may have been due to an altercation. Mm -hmm. So the two, Lauren and Corey, they do actually go to the fifth floor. At some point, a passerby, this is Zach Oaks, he sees how blitzed Lauren is, and he asks if she's okay. Right. It's unclear to me that either the altercation with Zach takes place just before or after the two could arrive at Lauren's apartment, but at some point they run into four male students, and I'm I'm not clear if Zach was one of these four male students, but this is in the hallway of her apartment complex. Right. And apparently the four male students, well, they didn't seem to like what was going on or what they may think is going on. And they start saying things and Corey gets smart with them. And one of the four punches Corey in the face, knocking Corey to the ground. Mm. All right. I just want to be clear on this. So we got Corey Rossman and we have Lauren and they're on the fifth floor of Lauren apartment building. Yes. And they walk past four guys. Yes. Now, now they might be walking by him in the hallway or these four guys might live on the fifth floor. We're not really for sure, but they don't like what they see apparently. And yes. we see this way too many times on college campuses where you have a guy with a very drunk female mm-hmm. and bad things can happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I applaud them for looking after her, but this causes a tussle. Yeah. But who knows? They they could have just been looking for trouble. As That's well. true. We never we don't really know. That's very true. But it does cause it does cause an interaction between Corey and all you know some mm-hmm. of these four guys. And they punch him. Yeah, he he he. I guess they're saying something to him, and he mouths off to them. Mm-hmm. And one of them punches Corey in and the who, face. Right. But who are we getting the story from? Uh, that's what's tricky here to me um, because. We here. Here's the situation, right? Um, Corey is he's pretty inebriated at this point, mm-hmm. and maybe he's hit awfully hard, or maybe it's a combination of both. But Corey reports that he is injured in an altercation at the apartment complex, but but does not remember anything of the event, which which seems very strange to me. Okay, right, but he possibly could have been knocked out. Right. Right. You know. A com- I think it's a combination of being drunk and being smashed Knocked in the out. face yeah. by, by some dude. Okay, from there, after the altercation, they leave the apartment complex. Remember, we said this is at 2.42 a.m. Right, and this is Lauren's complex. Correct. Just a few minutes later, at 2.48 a.m., Lauren and Corey are seen walking in an alley. This alley runs between College Avenue and Morton Street. Mm-hmm. There are security cameras mounted on nearby apartments, so we have this footage. This footage shows the two exiting this alley at 2.51 a.m. and they are walking toward an empty lot. Mind you, the cameras also show Lauren stumbling quite a bit at this time. So later on this very route that the two are taking, later they would end up finding Lauren's keys and her purse along this route. Mm -hmm. Police did not say exactly where along this route that these items were found, but Lauren, she's falling down drunk by this time. And she has fallen several times. Right, and we have some evidence because of the surveillance footage. But one can also assume that maybe there was a struggle. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? This guy has already gotten in a fight with a 
some other individuals. Mm-hmm. And well, eventually Corey ends up picking her up and he carries her. So now the two arrive at Corey's apartment. There mm-hmm. is someone else there. This is uh, Michael Beth. Michael is Corey's roommate. Michael's there up late working on a paper. Right. Sure, Michael. You're, <laughs> that's what everyone's doing at that hour. You're, you're up writing a paper. That sounds good for when mom and dad read the newspaper article later. That they, you know, they're not paying, they don't quit paying for his campus living. It is possible though. It is possible. Anyway, so Corey is pretty intoxicated. I mean, and just on that note, I, I would hang out with buddies up on Ohio State campus all the time and we'd be drinking and there'd always be one of us that wasn't really drinking. I mean, maybe having a couple beers with the buddies, but he was also working on a paper or working on some homework or studying, pulling, pulling some last minute hardcore work there at the, the wee hours of the morning. Right. But you know, you're sitting there trying to coast them into not doing the work, yeah. you know, going, Hey, just have one more, have one more, just <laughs> one more beer. Just put that down. Just one more. Have a cold one. Anyway, Corey is pretty intoxicated at this point. He is stumbling when he arrives at his apartment. Well, yeah, he's stumbling, but let's just note that he, if, if the story is correct and we don't have any surveillance footage of him carrying Lauren. Right. So that is just coming from the testimony of Corey. Mm-hmm. So he's stumbling, which is noted by the roommate, but he also was sober enough to carry her back. Correct. Correct. Uh, he arrives at the apartment. He's stumbling, uh, pretty intoxicated at this point. And then he pulls an awesome move and he vomits on the carpet. Mm. You know, way to go, Corey. Party foul. Uh, these, <laughs> well, the, these two are basically out of control wasted at this point, Captain. Right. This seems like a pretty lame two-person party to me. Uh, I've seen, I, you know, I've seen somewhere between like four and seven party fouls committed by these two at this point along this night. Well, I mean, let's, okay. Am I, is this wrong to say that I would assume that Corey's motives are sexual as far as like, you know, you just got punched in the face by some guys. Mm-hmm. And you, now you claim that you, you blacked out and you can't remember anything. Right. But you carry this girl back to your apartment. Yeah. And then you get sick. And I would assume that if he doesn't get sick, that he's trying to make sexual advances towards Lauren. Yeah. And, and I think you're on to something there, Captain, because what did we see happen earlier? They were right on the fifth floor of her apartment complex. Right. If your whole intention is taking her home or, or getting her to a place where she can just sleep it off. Right. Well, you were there. You were, you were steps away from putting her in her apartment. If that's what you thought you needed to do. Remember she had her keys still at this point in the night when they were at her apartment complex. Right. And well, right. But I think the problem is, is those four guys that stopped him. I think you're right. You know what I mean? And I think that, you know, like I said, there's a lot, there's a problem. It's a, it's a serious problem on college campuses where women are getting so intoxicated and then men are taking advantage of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and what do they say? If, if you're too drunk to say yes, then you're too drunk to say no. Okay. So it's kind of that whole thing. And I think that's something that people need to take a lot more serious. And I think those individuals saw something, you know, look, maybe they were looking for trouble Mm -hmm. anyways. And they just found this cocky Corey guy and they punched him in his face. Okay. Maybe sometimes when you're being, you know, you know, a cocky canoe, Mm -hmm. I just made that one up. Um, 
you, get, you deserve to get punched in the face. Right. But so that's a possibility. But the other possibility is they saw something that they thought, you know, this drunk girl, small drunk girl is in trouble. Yeah. And, and knowing what we know now, I would love to hear a definitive statement from Corey that tells us why they chose not to go to her apartment after having been so close to there. Why did you not go to the apartment? Why did you go to plan B and all of a sudden now you're going to Corey's place? You know that. Right. You're going back to your own place. But also it'd be interesting to hear a definitive statement from those individuals that punched the guy in the face. Exactly. And have those guys came forward because, you know, technically they could have assault charges pressed against them. Mm -hmm. So after. By this point, you know, after Corey blows chunks on the carpet, he decides that he's going to go to bed. And I got to tell you, Captain, if I'm Michael, if I'm the roommate, I'd be pissed at this dude. You know, he comes home, he pukes, he goes mm-hmm. to bed, and then he leaves me with this falling down drunk person that he that was so drunk that he had to carry her home. Right. So Michael, quote unquote, doing a paper that night mm-hmm. now is left to deal with this drunk girl, which he may or may not know that well. Now, it sounds like Lauren catches a second wind here. Maybe this is the third or fourth wind, but she's mm-hmm. she's starting to come to, and she's she's up now. And Michael says that he is trying to convince Lauren to stay at that apartment, to sleep over, um, you know, just stay here. This is, you know, stating this is for her own safety. Um, she doesn't need to be out stumbling, falling down drunk, trying to make her way home in the dark by herself. And that's possibly also Michael just... Not wanting to have to worry about her. Maybe he doesn't know her that well, but he's just like, just sleep on the couch. Because, you know, when you're in college, there's plenty of times that you don't really know the person that well. And they're passed out on your couch. And you, and people go, who's that guy? Yeah. And you're like, well, we call him Nick. Well, that's not me. But one time I came home and somebody was sleeping in my bed. <laughs> I had to drag him out of the bed and drag him to the hallway and leave him there. No, no, but no, but you used to come hang out with us on campus, and you'd pass out in bathrooms, and and we'd right. always stick that pink pillow. We'd always make you sleep with the pink let's, pillow. Let's move on here. So <laughs> we're talking about these people, not not us people. Uh, so I think that you know this could be a good call on Michael's part if he if he in fact is doing what he's saying he's doing. You know, mm-hmm. he probably just doesn't want to deal with. You know, the obvious thing here is you have the option of walking her home, but. Right. But you saw the state that she came into the apartment in. You do you really want to deal with that? You know the mm-hmm. uh, the potential of carrying her home sounds ridiculous. So probably a good call on his part. Uh, he says Lauren is not hip to the idea of staying there. She keeps saying that she wants to go back to her own apartment. Michael Beth states that Lauren not only wanted to go back to her apartment, but she wanted to she wanted Michael to go with her to drink more at her place. At three, around three thirty a.m., she wanted Michael. She she was asking Michael to walk with her back to her place, mm-hmm. and they would continue partying there. Um, around three thirty a.m. Well, well, uh, sorry, real quick. So we know that she's drinking some kind of booze, right. beer, or liquor, and they also talked about possible cocaine. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would assume that if she is doing cocaine, I've never done cocaine myself, but uh, cocaine. Um, that maybe she's just amped up, you know? Yeah. Um, well, we, do you want to get into my thoughts right now on, on the, the cocaine thing? Yeah, sure. 
Okay, because after she disappeared, they do find a small amount of cocaine in her apartment. Mm-hmm. Now, part of me has wondered, I would like to know how much is that small amount of cocaine? Is this mm-hmm. something where they just found like remnants of this on a on a table or a countertop? Right, right, right. You know, where somebody had been doing cocaine or was this I an heard actual, it was a small bag. It was a small bag. Yeah. Okay, so that would answer some questions to me here because if in fact that was what was going on that night, she may have wanted to return to her place to do mm-hmm. the remaining cocaine that's right, there. Right. Um, I have seen people that that are, you know, it'll be three, four in the morning, they're snorting stuff and in, in, in drinking, and it's it's like throwing fuel on the fire. These people can just keep going and going. And if they're at a place or at a party, I've been at parties where I've seen people, they're snorting stuff, and then that stuff is run out. And then you will see these people at three or four in the morning trying to figure out a new place to go to, a new party to go to where they want to just keep going like the Energizer Bunny all night long. Well, right. And and a lot of people listening might be thinking, geez, you guys hang out with some crazy crowds. But, you know, we used to play in a band together. And a lot of of the crazy nights that I've had have been, you know, after a gig hanging out with people. Then it was like you could get some free beer. You can get some free pot. You can get some free Coke if you want. And, and the parties just kind of, they go till 11. Yeah. Well, well, and the, you know, these after concert parties or campus parties, you know, that we, we would go to when we were in our twenties, mm-hmm. um, you usually don't know everybody there. Um, you're usually not a part of what everybody there is a part of. Right. Um, so you just kind of see these things going on and you, you take note of this. Well, we'll get right back to Nick's drug addictions right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
betterhelp.com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out betterhelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. We're back. Cheers, mates. 
So a night of partying on June 2nd, 2011 turns into some early morning partying on the third, mm-hmm. uh, Lauren Sperry, who ends up going missing. She is now back at her friend's house. Um, and she is being left in the care of Michael Beth. Well, and that's because her friend Corey went on a puking rally. Yeah, he's since gone to bed, and now Michael Beth is trying to convince Lauren to stay at their apartment, to sleep it off on the couch. She doesn't want to. She wants to go home. She's actually asking Michael if he wants to go with her back to her place to drink some more. And it's around 3.30 a.m. that Michael calls Jason Rosenbaum. Remember him from earlier? He has the apartment that Lauren went to earlier in the night Mm -hmm. at the beginning of our timeline. So Michael calls Jason. It sounds to me like he is trying to get rid of Lauren. Um, You know, maybe it's late and he wants to go to bed, uh, but feels that he has to take care of her. Uh, Who knows? But eventually, Michael takes Lauren to Jason Rosenbaum's apartment. Jason lives just two doors down from Michael and Corey's apartment. Right. So it's not a huge inconvenience for him to walk her there. Correct. So Michael goes goes back to his place after taking her to Jason's. Jason is trying to get Lauren to sleep it off on his couch, and then she can walk home in the morning. Lauren again is having none of it. Lauren insists on returning to her place, and she ends up leaving Jason's apartment. Jason says that he walks her to the door. This is around 4.30 in the morning. And look, I don't want to throw Jason under the bus, but again, we have two college students. Mm -hmm. We have their their hormones or raging hormones, right? Possibly. Uh, Possibly raging hormones. And, or for the guy, right? I mean, when I was in my early college years, I ha- I could say that I had raging hormones. Right, but I don't know that this is the situation for Jason. He's kind of... Well, I'm not throwing him under the bus, but okay. what I'm saying is that there it possibly could have been, oh yeah, stay on my couch, possibly try to make some advances, and maybe she's not having any of it, and mm-hmm. she wants to leave. I'm just saying that. We have to throw that out there. You're exactly right. So he says he walks her to the door, and this again around is around 4.30 in the morning, Uh, Lauren leaves his apartment. Jason stands with the door open, watching Lauren walk. Uh, He sees her go up 11th Street. According to the Bloomington Police Department's timeline, Jason Rosenbaum is the last person to see Lauren alive. Hours later, Lauren's boyfriend, Jesse Wolf, remember he did not go out with his girlfriend that Thursday night. He stayed in. Well, now it's the next day. And Jesse is texting Lauren. He he gets a reply, but it, it's not from Lauren. This is from someone who works at the Kilroy Sports Bar. Mm-hmm. She, having left her phone and shoes there, an employee replied to Jesse's text. Jesse then files a missing persons report with the Bloomington Police Department. And that Friday night, as Rob and Charlene are sitting down to their normal Friday dinner, they get a phone call, a heart-stopping phone call that shattered... Mm-hmm. Their world, their little girl, Lauren, is now missing. Mm -hmm. Early on, police said that the chances of foul play were very great in this situation because their thinking is that otherwise Lauren would have made contact with someone after she had gone missing. So the police are expecting the worst right from the get-go. But then we learn a little more about the last night and the early morning activities and the goings-on with Lauren and maybe some of her friends when she was last seen. So not only do witnesses describe Lauren as having been inebriated, 
This is corroborated with the video footage of her stumbling barefoot down the hallway of her apartment building. But other reports come in saying that she had used drugs that night. And Captain and I talked about this a little bit earlier. Uh, We weren't talking about the easy stuff. No, we're talking about some pretty hardcore uh, drugs being consumed that night. Mm -hmm. There's Uh, speculation of cocaine and also maybe ecstasy. Yeah, and and the other reports are stating cocaine and clonopin, and at least one source saying that the clonopin was not taken in pill form, but rather chopped up and snorted. Now, that that to me is like some Ozzy Osbourne nineteen eighty five stuff, there, man. Mm-hmm. Now we we all know about. Well, there's no report of her sniffing a line of ants, but oh, yeah, pretty yeah, much everything. That's right. That. He he did that too, didn't he? <laughs> supposedly yeah so you know we we know about cocaine that's pretty pretty common knowledge there uh but let's discuss Kalanapin here for a second um i don't know if i'm sure there's probably some of our listeners out there have taken Kalanapin before um it i have it's an anxiety pill um i had a situation years ago when i worked at this very stressful job and every every Monday was a really wreck of a day. Like I would have to sit there and lead these meetings and and kind of instruct everybody as to what to do for the upcoming week. But the whole time I did these meetings, this was about half of my Monday. My two bosses would just kind of stand there and watch me lead these meetings, and it just I mean it really put me on edge because they're just kind of sitting there like like Simon Cowell kind of just judging me the whole time and taking notes and not really saying anything. And I found myself in a situation where every Sunday, the day before, I was like a real grumpy jerk face. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out what was going on, but I figured out that the stress, the upcoming stress of knowing what, what was going to take place on Monday was making me this horrible dude on Sundays. So my doctor and I talked about it for some time, and and she put me on Klonopin. Um, I The thing is, I quit taking it because mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was a weird ride. Because sometimes I would take one pill and I would only take it on Sundays. And sometimes this one pill would make me feel like I've had about five or six beers. Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, you just take it and you swallow it down with a little bit of water. And then uh, 20 minutes later, you feel like you're intoxicated. Well, with a, you know, the, the party scene has kind of changed a little bit. I remember uh, a few years back, at least the crowd that I was running with, you know, you might be drinking a couple beers, but then people start popping pills with those beers. Well, like like what we were talking about on the last episode, you know, some of the medicine that was prescribed for a reason. If you took, you know, had a couple beers with it, it was going to send you off into never never lane. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's kind of the purpose. I mean, they're not only are they, you know, doing you know doing beer, doing beer, drinking beer, drinking liquor, but on top of that, possibly cocaine, clonopin. And that and mix mixing all that stuff with alcohol is going to send you on a crazier ride. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's 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 almost like just nonstop. You know, it's like yo yolo man, yolo you you know. It's just like just have a couple beers and chillax. You know. Well, and you know me, I really don't like to take anything unless I think it's absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. So I was skeptical from the get go. But uh, the thing that I also did not like about it was that I didn't. I didn't have the same reaction every time I took it. Sometimes right. I would get that very drunk feeling, 
Um, and then other times it would just make me very numb. Like just like my brain went numb and I went dumb, you know, like right. I would just kind of just feel like I was way out of it. Just zombie like felt normal, <laughs> but I didn't like, and I don't know why I would feel one way one time and complete opposite the other time. And so I didn't trust it. And I, and I only probably took it for about six or seven weeks. And then I told the doctor, you know, we gotta, we gotta end this and I'll just have to deal with this stress in a more healthy way. Right. And back to the thing about the whole party and with it, you know, I had a lot of friends that good friends of mine that could have a couple of beers and they could take a pill, one pill mm -hmm. maybe. And they would just, it just give them an overall body high and they just mm -hmm. felt great. But there was a couple times where, like you said, you don't know how it's going to react, how mm -hmm. your body's going to react, depending on how much sleep you got, how much you ate. And they would have these bad experiences. And then they'd tell me, and you all, everybody has those experiences where you drink so much and you say, I'm never doing that again. But these were like really bad experiences. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she's going from one place to another place and she's putting herself in not the safest of conditions, um, I think who knows how much she was on. Yeah. And and I want to be clear here though. This Klonopin stuff is not like your everyday prescribed medication. It, this is a narcotic, you know, I had to get a special, you know, it, the, the prescription looked much different than mm -hmm. I had to take to get filled than, than what other prescriptions would, would typically look like. Um, and I'm going to kind of go to the far extreme here because I'm sure that Klonopin might work for some people in some situations, uh, but I'm going to go to the far extreme part of, of bringing up the bad, mm -hmm. the very bad of, of this pill. This is from an internet article titled America's Most Dangerous Pill, Klonopin. You can look this up if you want to read the entire article at cchrint.org. Uh, but I'll give you the basic garage version of the article. So Klonopin is a benzodiazepine, and I hope I said that right. And according to this article, that no benzo has been more lethal to, to millions of Americans than the popular prescribed drug called Klonopin. Uh, this was something that Stevie Nicks battled with at one point, mm -hmm. and she's been very vocal about it. Um, Stevie Nicks had checked herself into the Betty Ford Clinic back in 1986 to overcome a cocaine addiction. After her release, the psychiatrist in question uh, prescribed a series of benzos to her, first Valium and then Xanax and finally Klonopin. And she battled this Klonopin addiction right. and, and, and she had severe side effects to it. Basically trading one evil to a, another evil. You're exactly right. Uh, also in 1996, actress Margot Hemingway uh, committed suicide by overdosing on a combination of benzo pills with barbiturates. Um, weeks later, we have Hollywood producer Don Simpson. He did the uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, he also died from an unintentional benzo-based overdose. Um, Klonopin was one of 11 different prescription drugs, all written by the same doctor, found in the body of Playboy centerfold model Anna Nicole Smith, who OD'd in 2007. Mm -hmm. We should throw a caveat in there. There was 11 different prescribed pills. So you right, can't, right. you can't really throw it all on the back of Klonopin there. And then this one is kind of close to your heart here, captain. Um, thereafter, we have well-known Los Angeles author, David Foster Wallace, who was suffering from a profound depression when a doctor prescribed him Klonopin. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was, you know, found in his backyard. He had, he had hung himself with a leather belt 
that he had nailed to a overhead beam on his patio. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kalanapin has been Old DFW. Yep. But st- yeah, but the, but now on his story though, they took him off one antidepressant and they were trying other forms of, you know, anxiety medicine and stuff. So it wasn't like that. They put him on Kalanapin and that made him go crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. He was struggling with depression for a very long time. And, it's really more the cause of his death is more the fact that he was on such a archaic medicine. Right. And then when they put him back on it after he had a, basically the medicine they put him on, if he ate certain things, he could have a bad reaction. And when he had the bad reaction, then they said, well, let's try to get you on something else. Mm-hmm. They never found the thing that worked for him. Right. Leading now, him to hang himself. Getting away from Hollywood in 2008, reports began to surface of soldiers returning from Iraq with post-traumatic stress disorder who were dying in their sleep. Um, these were victims of a psych med cocktail of Klonopin, Paxil, and Suroquel. Uh, this is an antipsychotic that is routinely prescribed by VA hospitals. So even if we are not familiar with Klonopin, that definitely gives us some idea of what we might be dealing with here as far as this pill goes. And the thing that really sticks out here to me is that having read the full article and a couple of others, it sounds like the experts, you know, the doctors, scientists, and chemists, what have you, they all seem to agree that this pill is not something that they seem to understand very well, or maybe even how everyone is going to react to it. Well, then how about we not prescribe it to anybody? That would right. be that would be a good idea. If we don't understand it. See, this is this is the stuff that drives me freaking bonkers, man. We don't really understand it. But we're gonna give it to a bunch of people. Yeah. And the the big problem I see here too is that it seems to have a different reaction from person to person. Um and like I said, just with with myself, I had two completely different reactions to it on different occasions. So some, some scary stuff. It's, it's, I just want to point that out because it's a serious deal, man. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not like taking an aspirin, you know? And I think sometimes when people see something in a pill, pill form, they think, oh, this can't kill me. This can't, this can't hurt me. They, they give this to people. Right, right. It's, but the, the other problem with this, and I've seen this multiple times, I've seen guys pull out pills, crush them up and snort them right off the table. And that's no. not the way they're meant to be. They're taken. not. No, they're not meant to be taken that way. But it's because they would they would hit the system faster, or maybe even have a harder reaction. I'm not really mm-hmm. for sure. That's not my thing. Uh, Those I, dudes are probably mixing it with alcohol. I would guess. If oh yeah. If definitely. you're snorting stuff, you're they're they're drinking things usually as well. Right. But this kind of goes to the theory, and I think we can just touch on this a little bit. Yeah. One of the major theories is that she did OD and that mm-hmm. she died from the party and that took place that night. Yeah. And so basically this report that you're showing is this is if she did take this and we don't have any proof of this other than some, other than witnesses other saying than witnesses. That's, that's our little bit of evidence, but yeah. it's not like, you know, she's still missing. So it's right. not like we have a body that we can do a toxicology report and see this. Correct. So we're just going off on that, but this is a drug that can be very lethal. Mm hmm. And especially lethal if you're on, if you're drinking alcohol with it. Yeah. And, and adding cocaine to, to this cocktail. So this really well. leads to, you know, you have to let the evidence, you know, lead you to something. Mm-hmm. Don't let the evidence make it fit. But so, so the theory that she did OD, 
you know, is a, is a strong theory. Yeah. Well, and part of that theory too is that Lauren may have had a drug problem. Um, it's been pointed out that you know these drugs or or drugs might not have just been the first time that she had done them. This wasn't a one time thing for her or, you know, just a wild end of school year. Oh, I did awesome. So let's go nutso and party and binge drink and have a long weekend. Um, it's been pointed out that, um, that she may have had a problem, you know, and, and some point to her arrest, she was arrested in September of 2010 on charges of public intoxication and illegal consumption. Now I do want to point out though, we're, we're, we're talking about drugs and then they bring up this arrest but this arrest sounds to me very much like it's just alcohol-related type charges. Well, it's, you're right. A typical charge that you're going to have on campus. Because normally, if you're going from bar to bar, you're walking. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people that get, you know, um, you know, drunk in public. Mm-hmm. But no, so that's not that uncommon. And I think the, the fact that, you know, and who knows if her parents are listening to this. But, like, we, we don't know if she had a problem. Right. You know, just because somebody has taken drugs a handful of times does not necessarily mean that they have a, a problem. Right. There's a thing called experimentation. And and I would say that when you're whenever you start drinking booze, you know, uh I didn't drink a lot in high school and it was more like once I got to the college ages. But you know, I was in college at eighteen. So there was, you know, three years before I was legally allowed to drink that I was, I would say experimenting with alcohol Mm -hmm. and through that experimentation and still experimenting with it because there's still those times that I don't know my limits or I go past those limits. And so I, you know, I think to say that she had a problem, I think it's kind of, um, not responsible. You know, I think she was at this, the stage of experimenting it's definitely speculation. It's definitely opinion based. There's not a lot of evidence on it. And I, and I point to this arrest as being the contrary. It's right. Right. It, it, that's no, you can't say that she has a drug problem and then point to this arrest. This doesn't show me, you know, had she had possessions of possession of drugs or, or found, you know, drugs in her system, mm-hmm. that would be a different situation. This sounds to me like a pretty innocent college girl doing what most college kids do. Uh, it sounds like, you know, partying one weekend and you got caught. You happen to be walk past the wrong officer. Right. And you have to happen to be underage. Mm-hmm. And that's probably why they took notice of her. I mean, she was a very small individual. Very petite. She was 4'11". Mm-hmm. She was, they claim, about 90 pounds. I'd, I'd guess at this point she's probably about 100, 105. Because you're going to put on some weight once you're in college. And if she's drinking a bunch, mm-hmm. I'd say she's probably about 100 pounds. Uh, Some of the same witnesses that told police that she was using the night of her disappearance also stated that she had been using the same or similar drugs regularly leading up to that night. But what does that mean? Is that for a couple months? Is that for a couple weeks? Again, with this case, um, we have these witness statements and we don't have names to put to these witnesses. We also have very pretty vague statements and the thing here is that, I, that my big caveat to everyone, and this was to myself included when I was researching this case, was when they say witnesses, well, I want a name. I don't just don't just right, lump right. everybody into a category of witnesses because guess what? We have three guys that are under some suspicion, and well, four if you include yeah, the, the boyfriend. Yeah. 
Um, so we have four guys that are under some suspicion. Now, if your witnesses are those four guys, I don't like, you know, it's tough when witnesses might be suspects as well, because then you don't know their motive for saying certain things. Right. Right. And, and so the thing is, is like, you know, let's, let's just talk about the ex-boyfriend for a second. What? I Go mean, ahead. let's say, I mean, for all we know, she was doing this for, let's say, a month or so, and maybe he didn't really approve of it, and that's possibly one of the reasons he didn't want to go hang out with her. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? But we, And like you said, that's the such a frustrating thing when you're looking up some of this stuff. A witness said, well, who was the damn witness? Right. You know, because that really changes the outlook, and, and a lot of times as armchair detectives, I think all of us would know this. When you start diving into a case, you know, some cases don't have much at all, but then other ones, like in this scenario, we have a bunch of witness accounts, but we don't know who it's coming from. Mm-hmm. So we don't even have any way that we can lean one way or the other. Is this true? Or you is don't know false? how much weight to put exactly. into those different statements. Yeah. Um, and, and that makes it a lot harder to form opinions. You know, Yeah. The, the, the cocaine in her apartment found afterwards does present a problem. It does mm-hmm point towards maybe some regular use um to certainly yeah. to me i don't believe this was her first rodeo you know i agree i agree because I, I don't think you i don't know i can't it's you can't speak for everybody but it's just hard for me to believe that maybe somebody goes from maybe a hardcore binge drinker party person to all of a sudden now things are going up the nose and it's different it's a different mixture of things it's not right. just it doesn't seem so experimental to me now, speaking of the boyfriend, uh, Jesse Wolf, um, his mother alleged that Lauren had been had been asked to leave, or I guess maybe sent home would be better way to phrase it. Uh, there was a summer camp that they had attended mm-hmm. at one point, and this was when they were minors, and she had well, th- she's well, okay, yeah, before you know, before she was eighteen. However, she was asked to leave this summer camp. Uh, you know, again. I, this was she was asked to leave because of drug use. Now I'm okay. a little on the fence with this. Again, I don't know that this points towards some kind of hardcore drug addict. Uh, when I hear summer camp and I hear a kid getting sent home, that like immediately screams smoking pot to me. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I was actually going to say even cigarette. <laughs> right. Right. Because it, you know I, I actually attended a it wasn't a band camp, but it was a, it was an arts camp for uh, musicians, for painters, for ballet dancers and all the, all that stuff, ballerinas. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big thing was it was like a two week camp. So anybody that like ever smoked, you know, it was like, Oh, well you can't have a cigarette for two weeks. But if somebody could get one from like one of the camp counselors, then it's like you're meeting up with a bunch of people to go <laughs> share a cigarette in the bathroom. And, and if that happened, like every, four or five days, it was like a big deal. Right. You know, like you're, you're one of the bad kids. Um, but if we would have got caught, they probably would have sent us home and they might've even said for drug use. It's, summer camp just doesn't sound to me like somebody packing cocaine and bringing it with them. And, and again, I don't know anything. I don't have any evidence to point towards anything. All we are hearing is what Jesse's mother is saying now. Well, the, well, the, well at least we know who that comment is coming from. Yeah, and because because there is there is some weight to the fact that, like we said, there's four guys that are major suspects mm-hmm. that we have to really consider. One being the ex boyfriend, 
And to me, this is drawing light away from him as a possible suspect and more putting the blame on her. And But the thing here, though, too, Captain, is, it, again, it's another very vague statement. When you leave these vague statements, you allow people's imaginations to run wild. And maybe people start making leaps and connecting things that they that really have no relevance to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear she's asked to leave summer camp because of drug use and then you're like, well, she she was they found cocaine in her apartment. Well, this kid's been doing cocaine for years. Right. When really, I don't think I see a situation here of. You know, I'd like to know some more of the details. Was this just simply a group of kids standing around sharing a sharing a joint mm-hmm. and she happened to be the one that got caught with it in her hand at the time? Yeah, or was she just in the circle? Yeah, or did they, they just, did everybody get in trouble? Or did they find something in her in her bag that she packed or, you know, it, yeah. it, it's a whole different sway either right. way. Or maybe they find 500 pounds of cocaine in a bag. <laughs> That's a lot of cocaine. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying is right. it, it can go either way. It can, it can go, go from, from something pretty innocent to something. something. Yeah, she was smuggling. You know, she's running a whole cartel, you know. And we should also talk about the initial police theories here. Um, you know, we'll, and we'll dive into each one of these more on tomorrow's show. But just, just kind of to throw this out there for something to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we have these missing persons cases, there's usually a lot of theories. Well, the police start off this situation by working under under just a few simple theories. Uh, the first being the foul play theory. Uh, remember, they had originally said that they expected foul play because she had not communicated with anyone. Right. Uh, the second theory would be that the inner circle theory. Um, someone in her inner circle did something bad to her. Um, this could this could mean the boyfriend. This could mean any of those other friends that she was hanging out with that night. A third theory is one that's probably common amongst college campuses, uh, but this would be the somebody drugged her at the bar, that, that somebody would have put something in her drink or drugged her somewhere along the night uh, that she was out partying. Yeah, very possible. Uh, and the fourth theory being a possible overdose um, and that persons with her or somebody with her tried to cover up the fact that she died from an overdose and they got scared and dumped or hide, hid her body somewhere. So we have four theories. Mm-hmm. We have four suspects. We got a lot to chew on till tomorrow. We got a lot to dive into. This case is just getting started. Mm-hmm. And a quick description of Lauren of the night that she went missing. Uh, so everybody knows what we're looking for here. Lauren Spearer is described as a Caucasian female who is four feet, 11 inches tall with a slender build. She has blue eyes and blonde hair. She was last seen wearing a white tank top with a light colored shirt over top of it and black stretch pants. Anyone with information on her whereabouts is asked to call the Bloomington Police Department at 812-339-4477. And for more information, you can also visit findlauren.com. And I hate to do it. I don't want to do it, but, uh, you have to do it. I have to make a correction. <laughs> I had a, I have a, I have a giant foot and my giant mouth. Cause okay. you know what happened when I was researching this case, mm-hmm. I made this statement and I was kind of, I was kind of a little pissed off and I made this statement on a national woman's day, right? Two weeks ago, two weeks ago. And, uh, and I, and I called a uh, Kim K's ass fat, which I mean, I'm not saying I don't like looking at it, but it, Nice ass. Anyways. It's not small. 
It's not a small ass. But uh, I said, if celebrities, you know, which, you know, you know, talent or not, you know, she has power. If she used her power for some good, and maybe when somebody went missing, if some of these celebrities would use their power to tweet this stuff out or put a blast on Instagram or anything like that. That's what I said. You said okay. that you, you were, that they should do this. That's, that- they, they should. And, and so that's what I said. And then as I'm researching Lauren's case, guess who tweeted about this case? Kim Kardashian. So I want to go on record by saying that Kim Kardashian did tweet about a missing person case. Uh, I think that's very commendable of her. Yes, we and applaud. I, and I applaud her and I apologize for those neg- negative comments. Well, the thing is, well, that's very nice. And she didn't ruin Kanye's career. Kanye ruined Kanye's career. But other than that, I, I applaud her and I, uh, I will admit when I'm wrong. And she, but she tweeted about this case years ago. You just happened to come across it when you were doing your research. It <laughs> yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like she's reacting to the captain. Right. No, but it was just, she doesn't know who the captain is. It was just the fact that it's just very odd that, you know, we, we pick a case two weeks ago. I bring up Kim Kardashian for whatever reason. I don't even, what a re- random thought. I don't even remember. I, you know, I don't even know how she popped into my head and I brought her up. I was just thinking about a celebrity that could use their power for some, some good, and then two weeks later, it smacks me in the face that, oh, by the way, you idiot, if you did any research on her, she has been trying to use her powers for some good. So I apologize. I was wrong. How does that crow taste, Captain? <laughs> I mean, when I was reading, I mean, I was reading about it and I read Kim Kardashian, you know, this case got, Lauren's case got so popular that Kim Kardashian even pop, you know, uh, posted some stuff about it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe the article I was reading. And then I was watching that 2020 on this case and they talk about it. Ryan Seacrest. And and I went, Oh shit. The lesson here, we shouldn't be so quick to judge. Yeah. I shouldn't be so judgmental. All right. Let's wrap this up so we can start on part two. All right. You beautiful people. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for telling family members. It's all because of you. We love you. And we'll see you back here in the garage tomorrow. And until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Don't talk shit about Kim Kardashian. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.